Hello and welcome to the Flixform podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode we have Netflix 180th film from 2019. It's the biographical comedy drama The Laundromat. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, Jeffrey Wright, David Schwimmer, Matthias Schoenhartz, James Cromwell and Sharon Stone. I'm Jesse and I'm joined like MJ, how are you? I am excellent, and it is wonderful to see you and to talk about a film that. So, what you said this is a hundred and eightieth Netflix original film, which means as we release one podcast episode each week, so give or take, we've been doing this for about one hundred and eighty weeks, maybe a little bit more because we have done a few bonus episodes here and there. This is a time when this movie came out where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it now because it's going to be like three years until I do it on the podcast. <laughs> and we're actually here. It actually came. It actually came. I never thought it was going to come, but we're here. Good. I, um, this is one that I did want to watch, but I did because I was like, I'll wait until we do it. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we are three years later doing it. So that's good. <laughs> so these days, Jesse, in 2022, when Netflix releases a new film, and you know they've probably got about 600 in their slot right now, you do just watch them straight away, don't you? If I've got the chance, yeah, I do now. Yeah, Because <laughs> we'll get to 2025 and I'll be like, oh, we might get around to doing it. <laughs> It'll be so irrelevant. All the themes and issues that we talk about won't be relevant anymore. Oh, but anyway. But someone's got to do it. There's, there's no one else doing this. So we, we, we are doing it. That is very true. It's an important task that we've been tasked with by, by oh, nobody. But... <laughs> But it has to be done. We might find something that no one else would have found unless we do this. In a hundred years' time, people are going to be like, "This, this was revolutionary. This was <laughs> like, why did nobody watch every single Netflix original film? Maybe there's some sort of message that Netflix is sending in their films that only we're going to be about able to decipher." True, we might be the last survivors on Earth because we we're able to, <laughs> to live live a life. I haven't found anything yet, though. I have to say, so we got to we got to look harder. Good, let's keep going. So, and we start off with a fast flicks where we do a quick summary of what the film's about. So, what's your quick summary for The Laundromat? Well, The Laundromat takes a, a deeper dive into the events of the exposure of the Panama Papers and explores stories of greed within a flawed tax system. Good, good summary. This one's hard, I guess, at times, which we'll probably talk about soon, but I've just, I've gone the narrative way um, rather than talking about the Panama Papers. So, I've just said, it's a woman going on a quest to track down who owes her money for her husband's wrongful death and uncovers more than expected. The funny thing is your fast flicks there is a lot more exciting than my fast flicks. Like my fast flicks mentions that it's exploring stories of greed within a flawed tax system. If someone said, hey, what's this movie? I'd be like, you know what? I don't think I need to watch that one. So yours is a bit more interesting. But I think that if you're telling someone about this film, they need to know what it's about because um, it is pretty dry. It is, it is at times it is very dry and I think that's the whole point of Soderbergh trying to make a movie about this it's like it's almost like a challenge can I make a movie about the, the Panama Papers because I, I don't know about you do you remember when when it happened I remember waking up in the morning and it was um, all over the radio and, and I mean I specifically remember because I kept playing that Panama all over the radio but just trying to wrap my head around what on earth was going on and I just got to the point where I'm like, all right, I don't get it. This is obviously a big, big scandal, global scandal, but I understand it. And I just never have understood it. So I guess that's the challenge that he gave himself to make this movie. 
I'm, I must have been really ignorant at the time because I do not remember this at all. Um, okay. so, it was big um, news. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I was doing it when this happened. So must have been switched off. But yeah, this was uh, new for me. So I guess... Um, well, I didn't learn anything anyway So cool. uh, at the time. So we started in the same boat. <laughs> Good. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about how this uh, was put together. This one's got a nice little story, I think, and I'm looking forward to hearing your, your summary. Well, I guess that's the start of it. Um, real event i think it was back in 2016 when it was exposed i think potentially the leak started around 2014 um i guess yeah the panama papers i'm not even almost going to try and explain it but basically there was a, a, a law company in panama that was doing a few dodgy not necessarily illegal deals that got leaked and uh there were millions of documents and millions of people implicated a lot of really famous wealthy people getting implicated by this there was presidents and prime ministers all around the world having to resign because they got exposed by it um so that happened and then pulitzer prize winner jacob bernstein wrote a book about that called secrecy world um interesting to see i wonder if that's as dry as (laughs) as it sounds but he wrote a book about it and and soderbergh more or less used that book um as his bible to to put this film together so july 2016 was when it was announced that soderbergh was going to produce um, this project in a general sense um, obviously that would have been very soon after the after the leaking so not much would have been fleshed out but a couple of years later in April 2018 was when it was formally formally announced that he was going to direct a film the film at that point was already called The Laundromat Scott Z Burns wrote the screenplay again based off that that book by Jake Bernstein I believe Scott Burns has written a couple of screenplays for Soderbergh in the past um, and they'd already planned for production to be commencing around 20, fall of 2018, um, obviously American fall. In, in May, that's when it got reported that Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas were going to star in the film. And, and from what I can gather, Meryl Streep's involvement was what really piqued Netflix's interest. Um, not only the fact that it's Meryl Streep and she's a real bums on seats kind of actor, but I think also they hadn't had very, very, very many Meryl Streep movies on the platform in general. Um, so they kind of wanted to see how that would work against their algorithm. Um, makes sense. So basically, uh, Netflix were interested at that point in acquiring the distribution rights. Later on, it was confirmed in July that they were going to be the film's distributor. Uh, and in October, they were officially releasing the movie that a few more people added to the cast. And that is when principal photography began in 2018. So the film itself premiered at the Venice film festival on the 1st of September, 2019. Uh, it also screened at the Toronto international film festival and the San Sebastian international film festival again in September. And then it was released theatrically on the 27th of September before it was then released on digital streaming on October 18, 2019. So it had about three, four weeks of, of theatrical time in there um, before Netflix. And this is probably when they first started doing that. Because I do recall when this movie came out, it did have some Oscar buzz before it was released. And basically, as soon as it released, that buzz did die away. Um, but this is when they were releasing Dolomite Is My Name as well. And everyone was kind of talking about whether these two are going to be legitimate Oscar concerns. Um, so that's how the film got released. It is worth mentioning that there was a lawsuit filed against the film or against Netflix, uh, more specifically by Mosak Fonseca, um, the company that was the, 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 the crux of the story with the two guys in, in the film. 
basically the lawsuit was for defamation. It was ended up being unsuccessful. There's probably a lot more to that, but that's the that's the gist of it. Yeah. Um yeah, they, they wanted that the film not to come out. So that was they tried to get an injunction in really quickly, I guess. And um, you know, Netflix pretty strong language. They they said it was laughable and said that this film is protected by free speech and it did go through a process where um, you know, the the judges denied the injunctions and allowed it to come out and then you know the the Panama government also came out and sort of obviously they're not shown to uh, well yeah. in this, film, this film as well so I think that they uh they came out and sort of said you know we're gonna work to to, uh, to rebuild our our image as well and uh, I think that um <laughs> the, the word fix was used by the the pre, uh, the vice president of uh, Panama so I think uh it's it's obviously had an impact in some way as well um I, what else I, you've covered off pretty much everything I think there was a little other criticism as well around Meryl Streep and I guess uh this is a good chance to say spoiler alert if you wanted to watch this film uh give us a pause come back later because we are going to talk in depth a bit more about the the plot and ideas in this film as well so give us a pause and now mm-hmm. you've paused now you're back. Good. So um, <laughs> there was a bit of criticism around the use of brown face uh, with Meryl Streep and a secondary role um, that she plays um, Eleanor. And I think that it was good to see that Soderbergh, as the director, acknowledged the, the controversy, but, you know, sort of backed, went backed in and said he could justify the context of it because of the dual role. And um, it sort of made a bit of mention about comedy and, and just did try to have some laughs and, and you know, how where do you draw that line? Um, Mm. between between what's wrong and what's right and those sorts of things uh whew, translations translations around oh, yeah. the world yeah, i think that a lot of these are just the context of, of where it's at so in italy it was just called the panama papers so that that's a, a pretty straightforward <laughs> literal translation and, and a much much better title than that working title that you mentioned the book was based on a secrecy world so that was the, the working titles in greece it's called the rinse so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it sort of ties in, I guess, with this idea of laundromat and I don't mind shuffling, that. shuffling money. The, the last one from Lithuania, it's called Car Wash. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway. I, I don't Maybe know. they don't have laundromats in Lithuania. Yeah, they, they have to wash their money through car washes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you see the tagline? No, I didn't. And, uh, and you, you know what? You didn't tell me the tagline last week, by the way. I was very disappointed. Because there wasn't one. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, it wasn't. It was. Per, it was. Per, it wasn't that I just held it from you. Uh, the, the the tagline for this one was based on actual secrets. So uh, not very creative. Oh, that's a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was nominated for a few awards. It was nominated for eight awards. Didn't win any. Um, California on location awards, which we often see for Netflix films. Obviously, this was filmed in. Um, LA studios around there, some shots in Florida as well, and a couple of costume awards too, but nothing too exceptional to to call home on. Um, Consensus, did you fill me in or can you fill me in on what critics I can can do my best to fill you in on some consensus, Jesse. It's it's sitting at a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. That's with 50,000 ratings i'm surprised by that fifty thousand number not a bad number but you think a, a soderbergh film with some oscar buzz that comes out on netflix readily available for everybody to watch would have a few more people watching it um it i guess you'd take the 6.3 they probably would have wanted more as well letterbox 
really didn't enjoy it as much. And it's funny, it got smashed. Basically, every review that I read was like, oh, everyone thinks that they can make their own version of the big short, which you kind of you kind of could see that comparison, but then you also feel bad. Anyone who wants to make a movie about something that feels a little bit more dry and informative about a real event is just going to get thrown into the big short Adam McKay conversation that this is their version of it. But Letterboxd is 2.7 out of 5, 38,000 ratings. Again, I remember when this movie came out, it had heaps of Oscar buzz, and that Oscar buzz was dead within a week. Um, so I guess that says a little bit about how people felt about the film. Yeah, the, the negative negativity continues on Rotten Tomatoes where it sits on 40% on 172 critic reviews. So nice. on the high end there, but obviously Rotten and audience have it on exactly the same, 40% as well. That was on over 500. So very, yeah. very negative. I had a percentage match for this one. Ah, uh, did you? No, I didn't. What did you get? 56%. I don't think I've ever had oh, such wow. a low, low match. Netflix has jumped off. Or maybe their Meryl Streep algorithm is just is just not work. fixed and they don't know what to do. <laughs> I was I was shocked. I was like, oh man, this this is gonna be horrible. Um but I don't know. What are your early thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I told you that I, I've already watched it. So this was this was my rewatch. I I definitely preferred it the second time. Particularly, I guess, after knowing the pace and the structure of the film and what to expect in that sense. But I also think the expectations are now gone as well. And, and I have to assume that so many of those negative scores and negative reviews are because, oh my God, here's this new Soderbergh film about really big event. This is going to be great. And it wasn't. And when you, expectations are high, you tend to come off a longer run when you're trying to critique it. So um, it definitely helped on the rewatch. It's not a bad watch. It's, it's entertaining enough. I, I certainly learn a bit. It's informative enough. I think the message that it's trying to tell well, it's not even like pretending like it's not trying to tell a message. It's very, it's very blunt. It just didn't grab me like I thought it would have, or what I think they would have hoped that you. I think you walk. You, they want you to walk out of this movie and beat your chest a little bit and go, "Let's make some real social and financial change in the country." But um, I don't really get that from it. It kind of almost feels a bit too preachy for me. But from an entertainment and information perspective, it was all right. Yeah, I, I think, and this is probably going to go into like the characters and the scenes it's very hard to like there's nothing in it that is dislikable apart from the structure of it i think i think that's that's the, the big thing that that possibly plays a lot into like it, it felt super messy it mm. the, the the non-linear structure and how it starts off it just didn't flow like i think you needed something to sort of prepare for where it was coming from and how it was going to address the film throughout and then the first half sort of uh the structure is is one way and then it sort of goes into these vignettes in the second half that sort of don't continue that flow so you sort of feel a bit disjointed throughout um but i I still think there's enough in it to to make it an enjoyable watch even if it is only for a select few people because i can completely understand why people would watch this and be like this is a turd Mm. i agree with you and that's exactly how i felt when i first watched it i think just getting so lost in the structure it's almost got this the Meryl Streep narrative that is meant to thread the entire movie. But then it's also got the narration of Gary Oldman and Antonio Barrett, which is kind of doing the same thing. So you've got these two different threads and then you've got some vignettes that you're not sure if these characters are something that we're going to have to worry about for a long time. Even like the Jeffrey Wright character, you kind of expect him to be another thread and all of a sudden his story just finishes. And then 
another story starts another story and you just yeah it, it is very messy and i think that's why i preferred it the second time knowing that that's what was going to hit me and i could probably take more time to take it all in but it's it's such a good point and i reckon that would be a lot of people's criticism yeah good all right well let's talk about some characters i i think that, like you could talk about so many characters in this but at the end of the day they don't really account to anything other than stories based on people who have been offset through Jürgen and Ramon. Like that, that's really where we're going through. So um, how are you going to approach this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jesse, I want you to give me, give me some structure of how you want me to do this, but I, I, I'm having trouble with it as well. Cause even, even the characters that I want to talk about, I feel like we just, because they're not really part of a, a wider story per se, we don't really get a chance to go, well, this is where they started and this is what they learned and this is how they've come full circle. Like, obviously, Jürgen Mosak and Ramon Fonseca, they're two kind of lead guys, but they're, they're basically the narrators of the film as well that kind of wander into the film. And I don't know if you can really talk about them as characters too much because if anything, you've I found them charming. I think they actually do enough for you to sympathize with them from time to time you you get this sense of not necessarily ignorance to them but like there's a level of them knowing they're doing the wrong thing but they're kind of not bad people is what they're trying to portray i think sympathize i I sympathize anyway a little bit more with gary alban's character i think that antonio banderas was a little bit more subdued had more of a temper but i I really just can't say too much more about them (laughs) No, I th- and I think that, that obviously you don't learn a lot about them throughout. You do learn bits and pieces and there's some small little lines about their childhood, I guess. They, they have this little, this moment where they talk about um, Gary Oldman's Jürgen, where, you know, he's a German impacted by World War II, you know, tried to be a good student, those sorts of things. And the same with, with Ramon, Antonio Veraderos, like his father was kidnapped, killed by the military, went to law school. So they both had this um, tough upbringing or something that's been traumatic in their, their youth or their childhood, which has led to them, you know, wanting to, to say, you know, life's not really fair. So let's mm-hmm. take advantage of what we can, when we can. And, and like you mentioned, they, they do come across as charming and, and Antonio Banderas's uh, Ramon is like very, um, you know, not a polar opposite to, to Jürgen, but he's definitely the, the one that you could see would probably be a bit, uh, uh, happier to get his hands a bit dirtier than than Jürgen. Yeah. Jürgen's more the one we see him often sitting behind desks and things like that. So he's more the the business type of person. Whereas we see Ramon sort of moving out and about in the world a bit more. So I think they they sort of did a good job in in trying to highlight these characters and who they are. But as you mentioned, like and my interpretation is that um, Alan Martin Meryl Streep's character is meant to be the protagonist, but sort of isn't as well. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it has to be noted that there's a deliberate decision by Soderbergh and the filmmakers in general of having Jürgen and Ramon being the the voice to the audience. It's it, it, they're telling the story, but not only they're telling their story, they're also explaining the situation of how this all works. And it's funny because you do sympathise with them a little bit because. There you're in. So, so they're the ones that are giving you all the information. You're like, oh, I like these people. They're helping me learn about it. They're giving me, they're making me understand 100% where they're coming from. And I find that interesting because it's hard to argue that they're not the bad guys. And you still do watching this film think they're the bad guys. But I reckon if you're watching a news story, they'd come off a lot worse than they would watching this film, which I find really interesting that they still sued them for defamation. True. Yeah. 
very very true um but go into alan martin yeah, for me yeah yeah so like, like i mean i think like the idea of her being the protagonist but not really because they they set her up as the character whose husband's dying she's dealing with the loss of that and they want you as the audience to feel the compassion for her that she's the small person who's been ripped off by this insurance company that isn't able to pay because of people like Jürgen and Ramon and and you do you do feel compassion for her but the the way that it's structured sort of means it plays second fiddle to the constant breaking of the fourth wall by um by Jürgen and Ramon whereas um if you really and, and I think Streep holds this film together because I think her performance is excellent in this and sort of is the, is the highlight for me in this film but it just it's really hard because I wanted to see more of her investigating and, and working it out rather than having these constant um, little vignettes that, that told us of other people that really like they're, they're nice little stories that you can highlight, but they, as a, a film that you want to watch, you want to sort of connect with one character and see their struggle and their journey, I guess. I agree because I actually barely sympathized with her in this whole, in this whole film when I really should have, because it's, you know, that's the noble cause, right? Out of everything that's going on here with, these um exposures these are the people that are being impacted by it for absolutely no reason like the people who have a whole lot of money are just basically doing all this stuff to make make more money but someone who actually has something properly to gain can't by no fault of their own it's like she had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that the boat company bought dodgy insurance that, that didn't that had nothing to do with her she was wrong person wrong time lost her husband because of it gets no money out of it it's it's her that you should sympathize with. And as everything that you just said is probably the reason why I just didn't really sympathize because the fact that her story is the thread that ties the film together, in essence, it still gets a little bit lost because we keep just moving away from it and focusing on something else for too long that actually has nothing to do with her story whatsoever. When we go see Charles, who's cheating on his wife with his sister's friend, that story has nothing to do with with the Meryl Streep story. You'd almost be better not having that threadline story and just having five vignettes that expose it and then keeping that narration. Um, that would almost be a bit cleaner. So I, I think it's a miss. I agree. Meryl Streep was great. I guess I didn't connect as much with this sort of big reveal at the end. I don't think that knocked me off my socks. Like I think they wanted me to. Um, so it just, I wish I had have sympathized with Ellen a lot more. Is it, did you want to talk about any of the other smaller characters? <laughs> I don't think you really need to i don't think it really adds much to the story to be honest the, the film itself sorry yeah i agree all right well soderbergh director so 47 directing credits we've done a netflix podcast he's had high flying bird which was one of his films which he did completely on an iphone and then mm. the other one he did on an iphone was called unsane and I, I thought he'd made a commitment to continuing making films on iphones but obviously this one uh wasn't done on an iPhone. So maybe flipped away from that for a little bit. Not a bad call. Not a bad call. Okay, fair. I I, I went on IMDb though, and I was like, yeah. see, I wanted to challenge you to see if you could pick his top four IMDb films. This is, this, is, nah, this is unfair because I did the, I've been on, I've <laughs> I, did, on, I haven't done the exact same thing, but when I went on IMDb, I was like, that's a very strange top four films to yeah. choose for Soderbergh. <laughs> I think... Um, the only, well, so the top four are Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Cool. That's his biggest film. Traffic. Oscar winning. Yes. One Oscar, yeah. Behind the Candelabra. That's the one that probably surprised me that it was in his top four. It was, it was big when it, it was a HBO film from memory. Um, it did have a little bit of a theatrical release, but 
did well. And then Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. So Aaron Brockovich, obviously, Julia Roberts won the Academy yeah, Award for that as well. Really surprise. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, good. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have picked it though. You're right. I picked it. No. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, um, let's keep moving. I thought one of yeah. Anyway, I thought one of the he did the Ocean's Eleven as well, didn't he? Soderbergh. Yeah. I've got it. I've actually got him open right now. Uh, he did Ocean's 12. 12. 12, yeah. Oh, sorry. And, and 11. Yeah. I thought he might have been in there for that, but that's that's all good. Con- Contagion, Contagion, Magic yeah. Mike, Girlfriend yep. Experience. Um, what's the one? Logan Lucky. Yeah. He's done that new one, Kimmy, with um, Zoe Kravitz as well. That's got very good reviews from what I've seen too. Yeah. I like Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, she's um, good in the Batman. Ah, oh, don't tell me about it. I won't. All right, let's move on to scenes. <laughs> what are some things that you enjoyed in this one? Yeah, I think you actually hit the nail on the head here when there's nothing bad about this film. There's kind of nothing good either. So from a scenes perspective, there was nothing really that stood out for me that I'm just like, oh, man, that's the one. That's the scene. That's that's. So all I've got for scenes is the fact that I did enjoy the wit and the charm of the narration. I I think that was pretty engaging. Every time they came on screen to explain something, they piqued my interest and had my attention. So he actually did that really well. And that was what he did do well, probably the driest part of the film. But I also felt like I was learning, like it was explaining it in such layman terms that I was learning because this is a world of finance that I have no idea about. I don't need to worry about either because I don't have that kind of money to be doing it. But it was interesting. Um, But then apart from that, the only scene that I've got is that little tiny scene with Will Forte, mainly because it made me Google whether Neil Diamond actually did write Red Red Wine by UB40. Because I'm like, if this is a gag and Neil Diamond didn't write it, this is a great gag to have in a movie. Just like some idiot at a bar saying, you know, Neil Diamond wrote this. Um, and he did. And it was, I didn't know that Red Red Wine was a Neil Diamond song. And I actually listened to it yesterday. Uh, just like a slower, slower, more guitar-y version of, of UB40. Well, it's not UB40's Red Red Wine. It's Neil Diamond's Red Red Wine. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I don't know. And I, so I guess I'm going to say that I like that whole scene where he went to the toilet and they ended up in a, in a ditch in the ground <laughs> for no other reason than it just was interesting. <laughs> good i'm glad that uh you you, found, you learned something else other than just that I business did. side of things so that's good that's uh, it yeah I, I struggled as well and some of these things you're probably not going to agree with which is 100 percent fine and i think to start off with <laughs> in the the vegas penthouse that alan's trying to buy she had this line which i thought was a fantastic line about um my tie is the hawaiian fertility drug i thought that was i thought that was a great line but it was followed up with like the other comment that she makes and then the kids her grandkids with the most ridiculous laughing at the comment i'm like you're not old enough to understand this joke so don't laugh mm. so the I grandkids like are bad <laughs> yeah they were bad um so that annoyed me but i did like that line um i thought it was quite funny when alan was having that dream um going into the building and just shooting <laughs> shooting everyone looking for <laughs> but that was great meryl street with a big gun that was great. i have to say when i was watching it i was like I don't remember this happening last time I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it just took me by surprise. But I thought that was good. Yeah, uh, that was good. The same with uh, Mia's death. Like the, the chick who was just signing all the paperwork. Just when <laughs> she like gets off the bus and there's just this electric pulse take, electricity pulse taken out by a car and she just gets electrocuted. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I thought that was That was, that was kind of funny when they're like, oh, she was the CEO of 25,000 companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Astrid, which was the daughter of um, Charles. 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 Um, 
when no no Simone was the daughter and Astrid was the Astrid friend. was the Astrid yeah. was the friend. So we'll talk about that um, the whole scene later. But one part of that scene that I liked was when um you know she slaps her across the face and calls her like a slap or something, and then there's just this slow shot of the dad like just going oh. F-U-C-K. <laughs> it's just perfect timing. Perfect timing. Because it's about to be revealed that he's been cheating on his wife. Um, Good realisation, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you know what? I can't. There's no way out of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Jürgen and Ramon, this is towards the end, they've got the shot of them in prison. I thought that was a really cool setup of the, the two of them in the cell. It sort of um, transitions from them being in a different location. The camera sort of zooms out. You've got the two of them just in this one cell by themselves, surrounded by... The, this, all the other blocks that are that are filled with prisoners. So it sort of like makes you think maybe these guys still, even in prison, were, were able to use their finances and their money to sort of look after themselves. You know, they're not overcrowded. They've got like space. It was just, a, I just enjoyed that um, that, that pull out of, of that surrounding. The reveal as well of the door just unlocking and them just mm. kind of walking out as if like, yeah. we probably shouldn't be out, but we yeah. are and let's just go with it. Yeah, 100%. I just thought that was just a, just a, some little purposeful things that were done well. Nice um, done, yeah. And this is probably going to be controversial, but I really liked the the monologue by Streep at the end. Um, and I know that some people probably won't, um, but I thought that, that the whole dialogue, and it was very wordy and very in on your nose and very blunt and very uh, specific to jam down your throat what this film's about. But just that final shot of her with that thing that made her look like the Statue of Liberty, uh, I just thought that was a great commentary on this whole idea of, of the American sort of economic system. Um, it was great. Uh, let's keep talking about that one because that's in my yep. bad scenes. And yep. I probably, thought, thought it might first be. time I watched it, I probably didn't quite, <sighs> didn't quite dislike it as much. The second time it just felt way too preachy. Um, and the Statue of Liberty thing just felt really on the nose. I think by the end of it, it was almost like Soderbergh didn't, wasn't quite sure that his message was across. So he, he just explained it in, in real layman's terms. And, but, but the point being is that it's a really strong thing that he's got to a point where he's like, yes, I've just made a film about this, but this is almost like a PSA at the end of the film. And I want you all to know it. And I want you all to be really clear about it. I don't give it, I don't get, I don't care if it takes away from my film. And that's, I think that's almost what he's saying. I don't care if this makes my film a worse film. This is what I want people to know. And that's fine. And I respect that. Um, but it was, it was a bit too preachy for me. That's, that's just uh, the way it is. Yeah, I completely get that. And I was going to ask this in the questions later. So for me, I didn't pick up on Streep being the um, Eleanor. No, so I don't me, think anyone really did. Anyone really did. So, do you reckon that now watching this on the second time, knowing that 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 re- like to me that whole reveal was a part of that process of watching, going, oh wow, I didn't pick up on this. I'm listening to what she's saying. Do you reckon because you already knew what was going to happen in that reveal when you're watching it a second time that you're focusing more on what's being said rather than watching that that transformation? Maybe. And look, the transformation was a cool reveal the first time. I still don't know how much it added. I don't mm. like. It was just a cool reveal because it was just cool that they did it that way. I don't know how much it actually added. And then by the end of it, you are you know you're watching Meryl Streep when she pulls off, because she goes from Eleanor to Ellen, then yep. to Meryl Streep. Let's not yep. like let's not pretend that when she takes the Ellen wig off, yep. she sort of combs it. That's Meryl Streep talking now. Yep. And that's where it's almost like, hey, 
just misses a message from the real people that this is what I'm trying to say. It just, it's, it was, I don't know. Cause I think when I first watched it, I didn't have an opinion. I was trying to wrap my head around it and what it all means and whether I, whether I thought it was good or not. And the second time I think I was just like, I get it, but I didn't need it. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that she was so nervous about that scene that they shot it like the third day of filming because they didn't want her to be nervous about doing that shot the whole way through. The oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that, I guess because she she's going out on the limb as well. This is a message mm. from Meryl Streep as much as anyone. Yeah. Um, anything else that you didn't like? Just in general, the the story with Charles felt was just so overexposed by light, and it was obviously a deliberate thing in some way to highlight. I don't know. This is this this is this world that they live in where everything in the, everything in his life feels overexposed because he gets whatever he wants. So he uses his money to push it out, but it just, I think it detracted from the, from the story. Yep. I've got that there as well. It was just way like compared to how short some of the other ones were, this one was just so drawn out. So it's, it, and obviously purposeful because they want the focus on that one, but I don't yeah, know that we actually needed that, that length on that one. Doesn't, doesn't, yeah. didn't really add anything or make sense. Um, the the intro of um, Jürgen and Ramon just setting the scene, talking to like the fourth wall, all that sort of stuff. I really didn't like that intro. It really threw me straight away. So, and I'm not obviously a film director, but if you start off with Meryl <laughs> Streep's like accident with her husband and then go into that instead, I think it just makes it, it would make it such a better film because you, instead of just with all this jargon to start off with, <laughs> I don't know. I just just didn't didn't sit right that opening scene and really threw yeah, me to start off with and sort of lost me early. Um, I think I felt the same way when I first watched it. Yeah, and then the the other sort of like you know you spoke about the the Mexican bar scene and the, the scene in China as well. They're interesting little oh, yeah. little stories, but I don't know whether you needed to drop like because realistically the the Chinese story didn't add anything to that context of where it was dropped in the film. So if you had to space these out a bit further throughout the film, it probably would have made a bit more sense rather than just having them all on the back end. Um, what? A, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. It did feel cluttered. Yeah. Like, it's like Ellen's story, Ellen's story. We're trying to figure out, like we've got David Trimmer trying to figure out the, the insurance side of things. We're learning about um, Jeffrey Wright's character, mm. Irvin, whatever this is what I thought the story was. So we're going yeah. through all this, but as it turns out, that was like one of the vignettes almost. True. With Ellen's still got the thread and then we've gone through, oh, by the way, these are the other people, these are the other kind of people that got exposed yeah. in these. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what are the blatant themes and ideas in this one? Well, I think one thing that we've, uh, just to carry on with what we're talking about really is that of the millions of documents that got exposed um, in this data leak, I have to imagine that the majority of the people are doing the right thing. And I think that's, there is that level of message that they're trying to give, give across is that, and it's only mainly spoken about by, mainly by Jürgen, that most of the people are actually just doing the right thing. And I think what they're doing, it's all legal. From what I can gather, you pay barely any tax in Panama. That's just the way it is. So if you set up companies or in this case, shells. So basically the company that you might run in the United States is owned by another company in Panama. So all the finance is being <laughs> laundered through 
through your, your shell company in Panama, so you're not paying any tax. So if you're earning lots and lots of money through that company, then you're obviously saving hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And that is technically legal to do from what I can gather. So there's a lot of people that are just doing the right thing. Now, I suppose when it comes down to the real dodgy side of things is when you've got just one random office worker in Mosec Fonseca working as a CEO of all these shells, that they, you know, something's not right there. But so from what I can gather, there's a lot of people that got exposed in all this that were actually doing the right thing. And what we focus on in this film is that they're doing the wrong thing. But what I think you get to see is that whilst Fonseca or whilst Jürgen and Ramon probably doing the wrong thing themselves, they're not responsible for the fact that Charles is just a greedy pig and pays off his own wife and daughter. They're not responsible for the guy in China who's trying to blackmail these people who end up killing him. Like all these people are doing the wrong thing. Yes, they got exposed by the Panama Papers, but they were doing the wrong thing anyway. And I think that's, that's an interesting point. And it almost would have been nice to see someone maybe after we find the reveal of the papers getting exposed who actually hasn't done the wrong thing at all and maybe see that side of things as well. Because this is just a movie basically about greed and right versus wrong and trying to figure out who's at fault in all these things. Because so many of these stories have nothing to do with um, Mosak, Mosak Fonseca. Um, because a lot of what the film is trying to do is shine the light on a flawed tax system and it's obviously unashamedly subtle, unsubtle about it. But we watch these movies that kind of have nothing to do with it. It's like these are just people with lots of money. And these are the bad things that they do. By the way, um, this lady's trying to get a settlement, but she can't because it's dodgy work. It's going like, that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. I, I think to sort of go like, they might've been doing, not doing the wrong thing legally, but as you mentioned, greed is not necessarily um, a good thing. And, and by being greedy, even if you're not breaking the law, um, it, it sort of tied in with that idea. They kept talking about, you know, the meek shall inherit, inherit the earth and, you know, you see scenes with in churches and things like that. And, and just highlighting that idea, like you mentioned, that the everyday person sort of falling further behind because you've got the policymakers or the lawmakers that are benefiting because they're the ones that have the money. So, um, you know, and I completely agree that the socioeconomics of this whole idea is that it impacts a vast amount of people that have no idea of this whole situation. And, um, the only other thing that I can sort of add is that the idea through um, through Alan or through Meryl Streep's character, I guess, is that her curiosity and her perseverance sort of paid off a bit. Like if you if you have that attitude of not giving up and continuing, then um, you know the the right thing will will eventually happen. Yeah, hopefully. Do you think the milk meek will inherit the earth? I don't think so. <laughs> not, not at all um, what's that what, stat I don't know if it's true or not but 99% of the world's money is owned by 1% of the world's population or something like yeah. that it's gross isn't it it's shocking um, yeah what did you take away from this film I mean it, I'd be lying if I said I didn't take away a lot in terms of learning about the situation and learning about the the system to, to an extent and I think probably doing this podcast with you has probably made me think about it and research it more than I normally would have if I had just watched the film. Um, because I get it. It's a flawed system. It's not right. Uh, people shouldn't be able to do this. And we talk about in Australia, or we have over the last few years, how, um, for example, Facebook is one of the biggest companies within Australia and they don't pay any tax in Australia. And, and so we're not, we're using them. We, we work with Facebook, basically. We, we advertise over Facebook. Facebook's not actually paying any tax. So there's issues there where the, the, our country 
isn't making any money off the fact that one of the biggest companies in the world who's who's, who's using our country for it. So there, there's so many issues there that we kind of know about anyway, and it's all, all of that idea about the rich getting richer. Um, so th- there's a lot that I did take out of it, and I think that's that's kind of cool. Like you don't often watch a film and learn so much about something that's really relevant in today's world. Um, I also thought it was really cool to see David Schwimmer again. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a nice, nice subdued role. Didn't didn't go overboard, but uh, it's good to see him. He thought he was good. Like two quick scenes. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, my my take similar. Like I think that, and this goes into that learning side of things, I guess, or knowledge that this would be perfect for like a business studies class, like to teach and to inform about shell companies and offshore accounts. I think it does a, a really good way of of making it understandable um, rather than having to read you know these huge textbooks with chunks of of all these these data and examples and stuff like that. it's just like this is what a shell company is this is how it works this is an example of how it works visually i'm a visual learner I'm, this would be great for me yeah babe jesse if you're teaching a business class you know that they're reading secrecy world they're not watching the laundromat <laughs> i don't know about that i really don't know <laughs> about that because everyone thinks they can start a business so <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are everyone thinks they can start a business um, everyone did, can really they want to yeah, very true um, did you go on IMDB apart from that song that you looked up <laughs> yeah I was very happy with that fine um, I did I went off for the boat captain um, who's played by Robert Patrick and this was one where I recognised him and I'm like I know this guy and I thought I'll, I'll see and he'll be in like 15 things and I'll, that's why I'll know him but I hadn't seen him in much but he was in he was in True Blood he was um Elsie Hevero, so he was the dad of um, um, his name Joe Magnilio, whatever his name is. You know, Big Joe, the wolf, strong. Yeah, the wolf. So he was he was the wolf's dad. Yeah, um, that's how I know. Him. So there you go. Ooh, good, good pick up. I didn't yeah. go on. So um, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask? Well, my main question I wanted to ask you, which you've answered in spades, was was how did you feel about the structure of the film? So. Um, <laughs> We don't really need to go there again. I'm just trying to think if I had anything else for you, but uh, no. No, I already asked about if you picked up on the disguise, but the only other this is this is just me being an idiot. But surely, Alan, you know she wanted that condo in Vegas. Now that a lot of the Russian assets are being seized, surely she can get it now. Well, how long? How long ago was how long ago was she trying to get the condo? That might have been done. True. True. Maybe oh, she get it now. Uh, You're right. They're selling it for hot, cheap. Yeah, a lot of hot property in Vegas at the moment, possibly. That, um, that did suck a little bit. I felt bad for her. Yeah. But on the flip side, would she have been able to afford it if she didn't get the insurance payout? No. So she wouldn't have been able to get it anyway. True. Oh, well, poor Alan. Well, <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> I think we're ready to. Alan was fictional, wasn't she? I believe Alan was fictional. Obviously, the boat accident that was tied into the Panama papers and the insurance and the fake companies. That was all real. I, I think she was fictional though. I did have that down that I'm based on what I could read. She was fictional. Um, and obviously there's a scene where she was talking to herself on the phone. Was that, did that happen? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah so, right. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, definitely fictional. Um, we also don't know who actually exposed them. Exposed them In, yeah. The and film insinuates that it's the Meryl Streep character, Eleanor, but, um, in reality, I don't think anybody knows. I'm assuming it's someone that worked there, though. Yeah, and also I think that um, Banderas and they, they go through a whole variety of ways it could have come out. They just, you know, so they obviously have no idea either. Yeah. yeah. All right, fun. let's let's put this together. We come up with a final rating out of five. What are you going to give this one? 
Yeah, look, it's it an entertaining watch, and it was interesting, and I learned a lot. It uh, it obviously gets its message across. It probably failed to connect me to that message the way it would have liked to. Basically, by the end, I forgot that I was watching a movie, and I thought that I was watching a campaign video, which does detract a little bit. But <laughs> I did enjoy the tone, considering it's a dry. It could be a dry movie, and, and I learned a bit, and I had some fun with it. So I'm, I'm actually going to give it three stars. Nice, good. So upped it because I think you originally gave it. Two I half. gave it two and a half originally, yeah, and that feels right. It, it does feel like it was better. Good. Well, yeah, I think I'm harped on about this structurally. It wasn't great for me, but for some reason, I still I still enjoyed it, and possibly the that star cast of keeping an eye out the whole way through. Oh, look, mm. oh, who's this? Oh, this is someone else. And I mean, it won't be for everyone, and I completely understand that, but I still think it's worth a watch. So I'm giving it three as well. Hey, we did it the same. We never do the same. It's been, oh, it's, it's been a while, quite a while. I can't even remember the last time. So, uh, I know. I thought you were heading in that direction. No, it's, it's good. Good. Uh, we're on socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Get on there. And we've answered this ourselves already. But I just wanted to know, had, had you heard of the Panama Papers before seeing the film? I hadn't. You had? Um, don't know. It's possibly a bigger story than I realised. <laughs> I'm sure they're uh, they're probably still investigating them. To be honest, there'd be that many um, exposures in there. Yeah, you'd think so. All right, well, back again next week for 2019 film. It's a Spanish comedy drama called Seventeen, or in Spanish, it's Dieciocete. That sounds very Italian, but it's close enough. Hmm. It's directed by <laughs> Dan- <laughs> Daniel Sanchez R. Vallo. It stars Itzato Arana, Candido Uranga, and Bill Montoro. So that's what we've got next. Okay. Cool. I'd actually, I do know this movie. So I'm, I've Ooh, never seen really? it, but I'm keen to check it out. Ooh, how do you know it? I know somebody who's watched it. A friend of Ooh. mine has watched it. So good. An international film that we know someone who's watched. This could be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it too. I thought we were the only two people in Australia who'd watched international <laughs> Netflix films. <laughs> As always, it's been a good one. I've had a lot of laughs today, so thank you. Yeah, it was good to chat through that one as well. Always trying to learn. And sorry, people listening to us, like they've completely missed the point of the movie, a point of the Panama Papers. And if that's the case, we do apologize. <laughs> yeah, I'm real sorry. <laughs> I'll see you next week. See you then.